2: So watching the, I think, pretty now famous uh, footage that CNN um, shot, I mean, it wasn't shot for use, really, but it was as Jim Acosta was standing there at the Tampa rally. uh, And you see these people uh, who are getting worked up and they're flashing various signs and yelling various taunts. And then you see the fact that they're wearing the paraphernalia of the heretofore not very well documented by most of us group known as Q or QAnon. I was just looking at all that at all that and I think I had the reaction a lot of people had which was it was like looking at a very hot scene where there was some crumpled up newspaper and some greasy rags Uh, and some kindling and a book of matches and a uh, a, a, a can of gasoline and thinking, wow, I wonder if there's going to be a fire at some point. It almost seems like there could be. Yeah, it really does look like all the elements are there for something much worse to happen than has happened so far. Not to say that what has happened so far, but particularly the status of the press during this campaign, where, I mean, anybody who went out there, I had this experience too, uh, to Trump rallies. I mean, you had the experience of the candidate at the time. In, in no subtle way at all whipping the crowd up against the press and, and of course this is escalated it's escalated into uh, uh, tweets from the president um, and now you have these people showing up and as you'll see today as we discuss this a little bit more some some pretty concrete undeniable uh, cases of threats and and I mean not to discount the fact that we've already had a newsroom invasion uh, and and multiple deaths. It's hard to know how much to connect that incident, which seemed very specific unto itself, specific uh, in a way that was probably about that person and his relationship with that particular newspaper. But it's also, I think, impossible to completely extract that person from the conversation we're about to have. There's a dangerous situation right now. And the thing that makes it the most peculiarly dangerous is the fact that the president of the United States is, in many respects, pushing a group of people towards the brink of violence, towards the press. You know, there aren't many professions mentioned in the Constitution. The press enjoys a particular status. Um, it, It seems as though it is the mission of President Trump to not merely undo that status and discredit that institution and make people less inclined to rely on facts and information provided by those institutions, but really to make something kind of bad happen, too. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. So joining us for, I think, the 17th time. Uh, that's not true. I was just trying to get the Q people all fired up. 17 times Margaret Sullivan has been uh, on the show, media columnist for The Washington Post. Uh, also joining us is Will Sommer, a tech and Internet reporter at The Daily Beast, also writes a newsletter about conservative media. Uh, right, uh, Will, what is the name of the newsletter? It's a right Richter. Right Richter. Okay, I just want to make sure I was reading that correctly. All right. Well, we'll come. We're going to come to Q in just a second. But Margaret, uh, I, I, since you're so good at, at having kind of an overview of this stuff, uh, I just babbled my way through one of these overviews. But it just seems like there's been this building animosity, and now, and maybe it's the Acosta thing. I can't really put my finger on it, but I feel like we're in a slightly different place, one that feels considerably more ominous. Than it felt even two or three months ago,
0: yeah, I think that 's true colin and i do uh, I have certainly heard and read people who 've been you know journalists who 've been at the recent rallies saying that the tone is different now, it feels more hostile it's it 's ramped up from from where it was, and I think some of this is that is that President Trump is uh, is continuing to feel his oats on this issue and and to uh, realize that this works for him, that as he um, that it, it revs up and fires up his base of supporters to have this sort of common enemy, and the common enemy is uh, mainstream journalists or, as I like to call it, the reality-based press. Um, you know, he it works for him to have the press as a foil and so because of that you know i think uh he, he, we're seeing more and more of it and it's successful from his point of view but it is as you say i think really dangerous um and and i'm i'm really i am worried about it you know the the threats that have come to people like Katie Tour Brian Stelter and others just in the past you know few days are are actually very scary and they're very violent sounding you know someone told nBC's Katie Turr that she should be quote raped and killed um you know this is this is vicious stuff, and you could say, well, it's just words, but I think the words could could turn to something
2: worse. Right. And Katie Tour, uh, maybe above almost anybody, is no stranger to this stuff. It goes back, all the way back to the earliest stirrings of the campaign. I, I read her her memoir of the campaign. There's a especially strangely, chillingly uh, upsetting moment where there's some guy, she's like, trying to take a nap in an NBC van, van and she, some guy taps on the window. She rolls down, and he spits into her face at point-blank range, and you just realize almost the intimacy uh, of the hatred. Uh, and, and as to the other point that you're making, let's hear uh, this clip. This is from C-SPAN. It's a caller to C-SPAN, uh, and, and you'll hear the threat to Brian Stelter and to Don Lemon that Margaret just talked about.
0: Don, State College, Pennsylvania, supports The criticism of the media. Don, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning.
3: It all started when Trump got elected. Brian Stelter and Don Lemon from CNN called Trump supporters all racist. They don't even know us. They don't even know these Americans out here, and they're calling us racist because we voted for Trump? Come on, give me a break. They started the war. I see them. I'm going to shoot them. Bye.
2: All right. So, I don't know. You work in a lifetime in journalism. You're going to have some of that kind of stuff. Most of us who've done these kinds of jobs have had that. But it it, it does, I don't know, hearing it said that way in a live show always makes it a little bit more chilling. So, let's talk about the kind of new... Uh, X factor, or in this case, Q factor uh, that has entered this uh, process. Will Sommer, uh, you uh, are getting your PhD in Q uh, these days. Um, I have to say that prior to last week, I had no, I, I knew nothing about this, uh, but it seems as though I should have. It, it didn't start last week. It's, this whole idea has been around for a while. First of all, how long has this Q conspiracy theory been kind of slopping around on the internet?
1: Sure. Uh, since uh, October of 2017, when this anonymous Q character started posting, uh, started posting clues, but it, but I would say it really started getting going, uh, you know, in the, maybe in the spring, and uh, and has really become uh, become prominent uh, this summer.
2: So, and it's it's a difficult um, theory or set of theories to summarize. Uh, you've been t- doing your best. Um, it really kind of seems like something out of a Dan Brown novel or something, right? That like just the, everybody is, uh, all, all the presidents prior to Trump are part of this sat- satanic, pedophilic uh, conspiracy?
1: Yeah, exactly. So sort of, it, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in QAnon, as you mentioned, and it often sort of just jumps off whatever the current event of the day is. But sort of the the thrust of it is that there's this um, this high-ranking member of the Trump administration who is, posting these clues on sort of fringy internet message boards. And they, they posit this world where uh, Trump and the military are engaged in a sort of life or death struggle uh, with all these forces of evil. And so let's say like all these pedophile cults and, and the, the Democratic Party and all this. And there, it, it, they believe that eventually there, there's going to be this moment they call the storm in which Trump sort of arrests all these people like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and sends them to Guantanamo Bay.
2: Um, One of the elements, I was making a little joke about it at the beginning there, but I mean, they feel as though they are getting signs and hints from the president that he's that, that he is really kind of part of the narrative that they've constructed. Uh, they see him as this white knight who is here to to drive out all the darkness and evil that's been around. And and one of the little hints has to do with 17. He, for example, at one point, because that's the what letter of the alphabet Q is. Uh, so he at one point says he visited Washington 17 times before he was president. I just happened to be like checking on Google and there were two pictures of him holding up sports jerseys with <laughs> number 17 on. And I thought, oh my god it's really true everything they're saying is true but that's well i think that's part of it too the internet's a really great place to collect a lot of randomized information which you can stuff into a narrative if you just pick the stuff that fits the narrative out of this huge pool of information
1: yeah it's, it's funny you mentioned the jerseys that's a that those jerseys are often cited by q On people as proof um the it, it, it you just it, they kind of collect all of these the way the Internet works, you know, it, it sort of jams all these different conspiracy theories together. And you can go sort of like looking for clues. You know, there, obviously you saw with Pizzagate, for example. There was a pizza shop and its logo was like a like a pizza slice, kind of a stylized triangle. And then people said, well, you know, they found a pedophile halfway across the world who would use a, a similar triangle as, as a symbol. And they said, well, you know, this is clearly a pedophile thing. Uh, and at the same time, you have the Internet. Uh, I I think it it really combines these communities, whereas, you know, if one person said, geez, I think this QAnon thing's real, uh, in real life people might say they're crazy, as we're seeing now, uh, but these people can kind of all coalesce together in a community online.
2: So, Margaret Sullivan, you know, I mean, over the years— I mean, it 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 hasn't been that difficult to get people to believe absurd things. We can go back to the um, the the moon hoaxes around the turn of the century, where a New York newspaper persuaded people that there was a whole civilization of people living on the moon, and and had drawings <laughs> to support it, uh, and and people, you know, there was kind of a hysteria about this. Uh, I think maybe one of the things that makes this stuff a little scarier is you can get these people together pretty quickly. You know, the Internet uh, and Facebook in particular is a really great way for people to find each other. There might only be like 300 people who believe something, but if all 300 of them find each other, you've got a little ball rolling.
0: That's right. Social media really is uh, becomes an engine for this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, the other thing that's, that's happening is, yes, it's, it's, happening on the internet in in the chat rooms that Will mentioned, uh, 8chan and 4chan and, and, and Reddit. But, you know, sometimes it kind of emerges out into real life. And that's what happened with this thing that we now call Pizzagate, where an armed, you know, gunman decided to come to this pizza place in, in Washington, D.C., uh, and actually she, you know shot his gun and said he was there to investigate the Hillary Clinton related uh um, ch- child sex ring and so you know it's one thing if it stays sort of digital only but when it kind of emerges out into a rally or a pizza joint or who knows where the streets or a newsroom Then I think we've got some trouble on our hands.
2: Right, and and you know, Will, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about where this particular thing came from. There's even speculation today it may have started as some kind of liberal uh, or or leftist hoax trolling uh, conservatives. But it kind of doesn't matter where it came from or what its status was, say a month ago, right? When people, somebody turns up uh, armed on the Hoover Dam, uh, when when people are turning up at rallies, uh, acting aggressively and wearing Q anon paraphernalia. Penalia. it's just not a goofy internet thing anymore
1: yeah exactly and and, and it's, it's i think the fascinating thing about conspiracy theories is that, that you know there's a lot of weird stuff we can talk about on the internet but the the part when it starts to impact people is of course when it, something happens in real life and so that's why you know we see all the people at the queue in the Q shirts at the rallies and that's what's made this so prominent uh and it, it really is i think people at their peril uh dismiss the power of these conspiracy theories i uh, i think it's really out of control at this point i mean. A big QAnon thing is they really want Trump to weigh in on it. But I think if Trump came out today and said, folks, this is obviously fake. Stop believing in it. That wouldn't do anything because they would say, well, you know, Trump's just got to say that because, you know, he's covering up the real plan. So, uh, yeah, it's really off the rails.
2: Right. And there's 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 a sort of no win quality to this. Uh, Sarah Sanders, I think, was asked point blank about this uh, and she made a kind of generic dismissal of any groups uh, supporting violence or something like that. And in the Q community, I, I think they thought, well, she didn't denounce us by name, that further entrenches our idea that Trump knows about us and is part of this whole thing. And, and, you know, Will, I'm sort of wondering also, what's it like for you writing about this? Because obviously you're starting to emerge as one of a handful of journalists who really has followed this in some detail. I would imagine that QAnon knows that you exist right now. What does that add up to? Yeah,
1: it's pretty crazy, actually. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been lucky in terms of I don't really get a lot of threats or anything like that. And most of the QAnon people who reach out to me are actually very polite and sort of say, you know, young man, I think you misunderstand. You know, QAnon is real. <laughs> you know, they, they, they're they very into trying to sort of bring me on board. Um, that said, you know, as my stories have been mentioned in some of the, these clues, these Q clues. And then uh, you, you, there's usually a pretty strong backlash after that.
2: Right. And, and like when we say backlash, what do we mean? I mean, I I was talking
1: about mostly just angry emails and people on Twitter. I mean, you know, nothing, uh, nothing in real life, fortunately.
2: So, Margaret Sullivan, I mean, I I hate to do this because, A, it's a hypothetical and, B, uh, it's a grim hypothetical. But I do think that we, you know, it's probably worth mentally gaming this out a little bit. I mean, imagine that. Something happens, uh, an act of violence that results in serious harm or death to one or more journalists, and it's really, really pretty obviously traceable to. Uh, it is the work of people who are unmistakably influenced by the rhetoric of the president, um, you know, that's not exactly a constitutional crisis, but it's not exactly not a constitutional crisis either. Uh, I mean, what you've got here now is a a president who is contributing to an abridgment of the freedom, uh, freedom of the press. I, I don't know what happens. Have you thought about what happens then?
0: Well, I you know, I... <laughs> I haven't really played it out. I I think it is, you know, the your your description of the kindling and the gasoline soaked rags is just about right. Um, you know, it took uh... President Trump a, a little while to condemn. And again, you know, we don't want to directly connect him to the Annapolis um newspaper uh shooting mm-hmm. which was so terrible. You know, there was no direct connection there. Um, It it took him a little bit to to condemn that. Um, I I don't know that, you know, I I don't see Trump ever taking responsibility for things, bad things that happen because he was involved in them, whether it's Trump University or uh, a, a. a bankruptcy of, of a casino. I mean, he, it just sort of isn't in his DNA to say, oh, wow, mess that up, that was really bad, and uh, that needs reform, and let's not ever let that happen again. That's just not the, the techniques that he was taught at the knee of Roy Cohn, you know? Um, so I, I don't know exactly what would happen, but I don't think there would be a great deal of taking responsibility.
2: So, you know, there's, we've talked about this in the past, but there's kind of two schools of thought about what the press does in a situation like this. One school of thought is no matter how bad it gets, you just do your job. You just do your job, and you understand that there are places in the world, one of them, of course, is Russia, where it really already is incredibly perilous to be a journalist, that journalists lose their freedom, lose their lives. Uh, There are plenty of other places we could name where that's like that. So it's better anyway, no matter how bad it is here in the United States, do your job and don't make a talking point out of how abused you're feeling by the president. That's sort of one school of thought. And and I think it's a school of thought that you and I have both dwelled in at certain times. Uh, On the other hand, you know, as the temperature gets turned up on all this, you start wondering, well, maybe it is uh, important to just sort of point this out, how dangerous things are getting. So now you've got uh, Jim Acosta asking Sarah Sanders to say something about this. How useful do you think that that is?
0: Well, you know, that I don't think is very useful because I think, uh, you know, she's not going to say anything that he's asking her to say, and he probably knows that. And so, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of good that's going to come from there. I mean, you know, I'm always quoting my boss, Marty Baron, who, who says, we're not at war, we're at work. And I think that overall is the best way to be thinking about this. But at the same time, I think... If the, if the press itself doesn't stand up for, um, for freedom of the press and for pointing out when it's imperiled, I don't know who's going to. So I think we do have to – we have to both – we have to kind of do both. We have to do our work and not sort of let our emotions – Take over, And at the same time, we do need to be showing people and telling people that this is going on because it really matters, not because of us personally, but because of the importance of journalism and the press to American
2: society. And,
0: you know, as a pillar of the democracy, it, it, if it's threatened, the whole thing is threatened.
2: You know, um, Will, when when you describe some of your interactions with QAnon people and and even just the layout uh, of the QAnon conspiracy, you know, there's an element of it for an awful lot of these people. It's probably kind of fun. You know, uh, they don't have that much else to do. And they're, here they are part of knowing about, i put quotes around knowing, I guess, knowing about this thing that other people don't know about, which has dire implications. And they just picked up another breadcrumb. Uh, so they know one more thing. And we all know, I mean, I don't know, when I was 16, people thought Paul McCartney was dead. And it was really fun, you know, just sort of collecting all these these clues about it. And, and there's a way also in which the stuff that happens at the rallies. I mean, I heard I think it was on, on the media this week in a description of what happened when the CNN camera went off. Uh, A lot of the people in the QT-shirts who'd been giving Jim Acosta the finger went over and they started talking to Jim Acosta and saying, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? You know, that in some ways people are kind of enjoying a kind of role-playing. I mean, all it takes is one person to take this a lot more seriously than they are before you get, uh, you know, blood being spilled. But maybe you can say a little bit about this. I mean, as you said, some of the people who have approached you online have been rather courteous.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think for the vast majority of these people, they're, uh, they, they, this is sort of like almost like, like watching a sport or something. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, Vice did an interview with some QAnon believers, and they said, you know, when something happens in the world, we just giggle and we say, you know, oh, Q told us about this. We knew about this. We knew this was going to happen. So I, I do think for most people it is indeed a uh, just sort of like a fun thing. And certainly if you're a Trump supporter, I think it's it's that it, it, there was so much buildup in the campaign and so much energy and this idea that, you know, they were going to get everything they wanted. Hillary Clinton was going to be thrown in prison all this stuff. And then, you know, Trump gets in office and he has to deal with the boring business of governing. And it's just not as fun. To, to follow that and follow gridlock in Congress as it is to uh, to believe that Trump is this almost like a messianic figure who's battling all these evil cults.
2: Right, and so Margaret, this that Will makes a great point, and I think it connects well to another theme that we were exploring here. So there's, you know, uh, people who are Trump followers, one way or another, they have to deal with a certain amount of cognitive dissonance. Many of the things that they were promised in the campaign haven't happened and don't look like they're going to happen. There are things happening that I think are troubling to the sensibilities of almost anybody. I mean, the border family separations are you know hard to swallow for, for people. There, there are lots of other instances of that. And one of the ways out of that dissonance that President Trump has offered people uh, is simply to you know don't believe what you read in the media. You know, very little of it is true. They're out to get us. In fact, we can hear a, a little bit of uh, this is the Wilkes-Barre, uh, wilkes Pennsylvania uh, rally. Here's a little bit of President Trump.
3: So I, they said I was late when I was actually early, number one. Number two, I guess the meeting was scheduled for 15 minutes
4: and it lasted for almost an hour. The president overstayed. <laughs> so. I was late and I overstayed, and honestly, folks, it was such a beautiful, beautiful visit and afternoon. But they can make anything bad because they are the fake, fake, disgusting news. Let's get back to some boring subjects like Bob Casey.
2: All <laughs> right, um, so. Margaret, I should say that he's talking about his visit with the queen, not with Vladimir Putin. It's hard to tell sometimes. But um, but that's very much a technique, right? That if you don't like some of the things that are going to be said, things that have been said, if you're worried, if you're the president and you're worried uh, about what's going to happen when a Mueller report comes out or more indictments come out. Or if you're a Trump supporter and you're worried about how to think about all those things. Well, what he's essentially done is discredit the the means by which you, you would learn about those things. I mean,
0: I think that especially with the Mueller investigation, you know, coming, I guess, fairly close to its conclusion and some very troubling things, uh, apparently, you know, in the future there, you know, probably uh, it's always hard to tell with Trump you know, how much of it is sort of gut instinct and how much of it is a plan or a strategy on his part. But I think the result of it is to sort of undermine the, the both the messenger, the press and, you know, the so-called deep state, uh, the, the, the Mueller people who are, again, both of these groups of people out to get uh, out to get the president. And so if he can sort of it that way, then whatever news comes out, whatever Mueller finds, whatever the press reports about what he finds, can be um, diminished or undermined to some extent. And so I, I think that that's a big part of what's going on here. And the other part of it is simply that he really needs an enemy. And without an immediate political enemy, the, the press is the best, next best thing.
2: Will summer. did you want to follow up on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think all these attacks on the press
1: are are a way, as, as Margaret mentioned, to uh, to sort of prepare his followers to to not believe what happens uh, with Mueller or any other scandals in his administration. Uh, you know, this is kind of the culmination of decades of attacks from conservatives on uh, on independent sources of truth, whether that be the press or academia or uh, science stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, Trump is of kind of preparing people in the same way that really QAnon prepares people. Uh, to accept uh, to accept bad news for Trump,
2: um, you know, Will. There's one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is a question of genuine. Born out of genuine ignorance on my part because I just haven't decoded all the cuneiform tablets that constitute QAnon uh, uh, conspiracy theory. But I sort of get the feeling that one of the things that's supposed to happen in that narrative is that certain Republicans, maybe the kind of Republican that isn't completely loyal to President Trump, that politically they get picked off or eliminated, that they, they get voted out of office. Do I have that right?
1: Uh, yes, exactly. So, so like a part of QAnon is this, this idea that that both Republicans and Democrats were corrupt, and now Trump is kind of this like redeeming force that comes into the Republican Party. But for example, like John McCain is a big villain in QAnon world,
2: right? And and so I mean, to me, to to me, Margaret Sullivan, it seems as though you know, one of the things that we look to down the road, uh, whether it happens in the next six months or the next year, there are going to be some moments some some tests of nerve politically. I mean, once again, imagine a situation where uh, President Trump, as he has been hinting at for a very long time, starts doing something about Jeff Sessions, starts doing something about Rod Rosenstein, starts doing something about uh, Robert Mueller. There are, uh, it's going to call for some action, not on the part of Democrats alone, but on the part of Republicans. It's very convenient right now. <laughs> to have what Will just described—a conspiracy theory that indicts Republicans who don't support Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, and I think this is this is why uh, so many people on both sides of the aisle are putting such emphasis on the midterm elections because um, you know I, 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 nothing can happen with Congress uh, sort of configured the way it is. If that changes, the, then the balance of power changes, and it's it's. It's extremely consequential. So, you know, uh, that's a dynamic that's sort of underlying this whole thing.
2: All right. Margaret Sullivan, media columnist for The Washington Post and one of the leading uh, lights and voices uh, taking us along these dark paths these days. Uh, Great to make the acquaintance of Will Sommer, tech and internet reporter at The Daily Beast, one of the people really learning a lot uh, about QAnon. Also has a newsletter about conservative media, Right, Richter. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'm going to talk to you. Our phone number is 860-275-7266. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what happens as a result of the kind of of hostility that exists, the unprecedented kind of hostility that exists between President Trump and the press, uh, the emotions that he's ginning up uh, and where that leads us. 860-275-7266.
4: News. The New York Times. You are fake news. CBS. NBC. ABC. BBC. LA Times. You are fake news. The Washington Post. You are fake news. CNN. Very fake news. Politico. AP.
0: Papa, Buzzfeed. Failing
4: pile of garbage. And you know, I've been hearing more and more about a thing called fake news. Fake, fake news. I've seen people destroyed.
2: So, uh, we're all done with guests. The remaining time is uh, devoted to a conversation between you and me. A phone call uh, is fine. 860 275 7266. I want to start with this whole question of the president and the press and what's happening here. 860 275 7266. Because, I, and I know that a, this is a hypothetical, it's a thing that hasn't happened yet, and b it's kind of grim. Uh, but I really, it's hard to look at that can of gas and oily rags. And, and lighter and kindling and not think that there's a fire coming. And, and when the fire comes, in some ways you would think, given America's historic uh, commitment dating back to the Constitution, historic commitment to a free press, uh, that uh, if something happens to members of the press, Uh, that is clearly brought about, at least in part and maybe in large part, by the rhetoric of a sitting president. It really ought to be the end of him. It, It ought to be cause for him to step down. But that's not going to happen. I think we all know that that's not going to happen. Uh, I don't think the forces exist that can be brought to bear on President Trump. Uh, You know, if 10 people that he respects went in and said, look, you caused this. There's blood on your hands. You, unlike any president in the history of this republic, have created conditions under which reporters uh, have been attacked uh, and killed. Uh, You have to leave just because of that. He'd say no, right? I mean, and and there are people— plenty of people who think he would be correct to say now, But it does raise that question, like, you know, how do we live through that particular crisis? I think we're headed for other kinds of crises as well. But this is one that it just seems like it's getting so close. I mean, I hate to say that because— this is my profession. Uh, once again, our uh, phone number 860-275-7266. Let me just say another thing. And maybe this will help because I, I understand also there's some people who are, are going to say, you guys are just whining because you can't take it, you know, and you dish it out, but you can't take it. I've been a journalist since 1976. And for 16 years, from 1992 to 2008, I was the House liberal at a very, very conservative to otherwise conservative talk station. So you can imagine what my status was like there i was the guy who believed what most of the listeners to the station did not believe um and i got you know i mean for 16 years (laughs) like like every possible thing happened and and it was often suggested to me that you know that i might be in danger and i kind of accepted that too i mean like people would leave stuff on my car and i would think how do they know that's my car (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's not good. They know it's my car. But I, here's the other thing that I always thought about that. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And if it's going to happen to me, it's going to happen to me. And the reason it's going to be happening to me is that I am a liberal voice on a conservative talk station in a conservative medium. Co- commercial talk radio is this intensely conservative medium. And so there you go. These things exist. I can't. There's really almost nothing I could do. I, mean, I could hire a bodyguard. <laughs> something, I suppose. But I couldn't afford a bodyguard. Uh, there's nothing you can do. You just have to accept that. Uh, and I did, you know, and most of the time and I mostly also felt like it wasn't going to happen. Um, I mean, uh, I, maybe that's how I got through the day. But I also like I, I knew some of the kookiest listeners. I'd met them in person. <laughs> and, and you know, you sort of take the measure of somebody and you think, well, I don't think he's going to shoot me. Um, I had a partner for a while on the air for quite a few years, and we always had kind of a list like of who was the most likely, you know, if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be so and so. But that kind of went with the territory, and at least I would tell myself it was going if it was going to happen to anybody, it would happen to me because I had said these things. I think what's different now is it could happen to anybody, and it could happen to somebody just doing the job of reporting the news in a regular way. Not some—I mean, like Alan Berg, for example, was this very, a very uh, controversial talk show host who was killed by a, a listener. Uh, but he was very controversial. I think what's what makes this different right now is you don't have to be a controversial There's nothing controversial about Katie Turr. And she didn't do a controversial job of covering the Trump campaign. And she hasn't done a controversial job of, uh, uh, of covering Trump. She's just a beat reporter. Acosta is just a beat reporter. Maybe they ask hard questions. This administration, as we now know, will also pull you out of White House briefings for asking a question that the president doesn't like or in a way that the president doesn't like. Uh, but w- what's, nerve- what's nerve-wracking for me right now is that anybody doing his or her job, just doing a job of reporting facts, is in danger right now. I- that's how I feel anyway. And that does bother me, and I think it's a sharp turn, too, and it's a turn we don't want to take. Uh, all right. 860-275-7266 uh, is the number to call. Uh, I'll start with Naim. Um, name Naim? Name? I want to say your name correctly. How do you say your name? Naim. Name. All right, uh, you're on the air.
3: I simply wanted to give a comment, and that's with regard to our 46 on Pennsylvania Avenue.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Is that I think that uh, he's doing a, an illustrious job of smoking and mirrors, mm-hmm. and it and it does precisely what it is intended to do. It is to fool the liberals on the on the left, and uh, to respond support for the the. Uh,
2: The uh, extreme right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call. Um, Let me go over to. I'll sort of. I don't want to respond to every single call because then people won't get on the air. Uh, Here's uh, Sarah in Deep River. Hi, Sarah. You're on the air.
0: Hi, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just wanted to say that I really don't think we should make light of people who are believing these conspiracy theories and say fake news because I actually grew up in a cult in Connecticut. It made the news recently and. When we were in the cult, we said fake news, too. And I, I, I don't think that you can reach people with facts. I think that we're in a very dangerous place right now where politicians are encouraging brainwashing and encouraging people that will not question what they do.
2: Well, first of all, I now know exactly which cult you're talking about. Congratulations <laughs> yeah. on getting out. It sounds like you're Thank fine you. now. Um, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, it's 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 always... First of all, I was a reporter back during that time, and and I dealt with, like, every imaginable group uh, like that, uh, although that particular one I don't think I had much contact with, but plenty of, like, Divine Light Mission, that's a Guru Maharaji, or Scientology, or Unification Church, or, I mean, all of them, I, I had plenty of contact with them. You know, and the truth is, most people are not harmful people. You know, It in all of these scenarios, it's the case that it just takes one, right? It takes one person to go out and print out a 3D plastic gun now, you know? It takes the, the one person who took it a little bit more seriously. So my guess is that QAnon is full of, you know, retired people who, you know, hang around in the McDonald's, you know, surfing the web, and uh, it, they're probably not all that harmful. But I think as you, yeah. you're suggesting, Sarah... Comment, it, yeah, My
0: yeah. comment wasn't meant to imply that people are capable of violence at any moment. My comment was that it's, it's dangerous for our democ- democracy that um, people are so... Uh, Away from factual thinking,
2: right, right. Well, no, I, you know, and and we talked about this last week and on a show about gaslighting. That and what happens here is, is that you're undermining. The, the, the pillars that people use to get information, test information, process information, uh, if, if you successfully discredit all those sources, yeah, it's pretty easy to gaslight the public. Uh, seems to me maybe what I should do is take a little break here so we have a little time for everybody else. So Eric, Scott, Chris, Ron, I see you up there. I see you. Uh, and uh, anybody else who wants to call 860-275-7266. Before we go to the break, I want to say one more thing. Uh, Because this has been on my mind all weekend, too. So we've got, as Margaret was saying, a midterm election coming up. And actually here in Connecticut, just to remind you, we have a primary on August 14th, uh, a week from tomorrow. And um, after that primary, I feel as though I've sort of stayed away from moderating debates or being a panel on debates this particular cycle just for various reasons. Um, I'm almost tempted to be on one as we head towards the general election because I think now, particularly with candidates for Congress, if you're running for the House or the Senate, the U.S. House or the U.S. Senate, I think it's an important question to ask people, what will you do? What will you do, for example, if the president tries unilaterally unilaterally to shut down the Mueller investigation before they're done? Uh, What if he fires Sessions, fires Rosenstein, and then tries to shut it down on his own? Because that's not a far-fetched scenario anymore. He He lays the foundation for that day after day after day with his tweets. What will you do? Can we count on you? To do the right thing in in one of these crises because we're going to have some kind of crisis i mean he he has done everything in his power to almost normalize the idea that we're going to have a crisis so i think it's fair to ask candidates after the primary as we run towards the general can we count on you? Can we count on you to stand up against President Trump uh, if he, in fact, violates the basic premises for good governance in America? Uh, if he uh, tries to um, uh, amass power that isn't designated to him in the Constitution? Can we count on you? Anyway, let's take a break. Uh, we'll talk to some of the callers on the other side. Thanks. So if Kurt Schilling has nine pairs of socks and one sock gets bloody, he has 17 socks. There it is again. Proof that Kellyanne Conway is a
3: space alien. Today's show is produced by Betsy Kaplan. With help from me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish was part of a fish sex slave cult overseen by Calvin Coolidge. Our intern is Zandra Ellen. The part of Bill Curry was played by John Podesta, who controls Minecraft. Coming up
2: this week, a granular discussion of sand and a show about what constitutes a disability. And now. Back to Colin and 16 other people. That's right. That's 17 again. 17. Um, I'm sorry if you're from q and I. <laughs> We're just trying to get you over tough. Q, q and I people get very excited about the number 17 because that's Q is the 17th letter uh, letter of the alphabet. So anytime they hear 17. And there was another one. There was a Trump tweet where he said something about 17 angry Democrats who are going after me? It's like it's like it's like he knows. It's like he's doing it deliberately, holding up those football jerseys with the number seventeen on them. What's going on here? The answer is nothing is going on. I just want to make that clear. I mean, at least nothing's going on in that particular way. It's just uh, one of the things that we we've learned, really, since nineteen sixty three. If you get right down to it, is that if you have enough data some portion of that data will begin sorting itself into patterns, into narrative patterns. Now, that doesn't mean—and we are also pattern-recognizing creatures. It's one of the reasons that our species survived. They were good at noticing patterns. Uh, Now, you also have to be good at at determining—discerning the difference between false patterns. Every time you eat a blueberry, there's a thunderstorm— uh, and true patterns. But if there, you have enough information and you have a preconceived idea of what the narrative is, you can start sorting stuff into it. That's what's happening with q and And so like every day there's something, right? Because a lot of things happen. Things that sort of, I think that's called the law of inevitability uh, in mathematics that um, things will happen. Things will just happen all the time. alright seven five seven two six six. Now, I sound like a crazy person, (laughs) but that actually is the law of mathematics. I just want to say that. Here's Eric in Oxford. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call.
4: Sure. So um, we're kind of speaking about a fringe group of Trump supporters with QAnon and uh, how that could possibly escalate into violence. Um, I just wanted to comment that there's been some fringe people on the left that have definitely escalated into violence, so I think it's more of like uh, a left and right thing that should be worried about inciting violence. Uh, so,
2: so who are the people on the left you're talking about?
4: Well, with the Steve Scalise shooting, you know, I know it's a marginal fringe person, but he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, you had Rand Paul viciously attacked, and... um
2: Right, but I mean the the Steve Scalise shooting that wasn't connected to anything, and the rhetoric of Bernie Sanders would be very distinct from the rhetoric of Donald Trump. In other words, Bernie Bernie Sanders is not going around saying that these people are disgusting, evil people. You need to do something about them. That's one of the things that separates President Trump from other politicians. That he again and again has driven home the the notion that the press is the problem, and and they are disgusting, and they are the enemy of the people. Bernie Sanders didn't go around calling Steve Scalise or republican congressman the enemy of the people
4: well it depends how you interpret some of the things people on the left say you know the resistance um as far as you know you have things like antifa not publicly disavowed by uh, a lot of democrat leaders so you know i do see it just coming from both sides i'm not saying that you know anyone on the left is saying go out and kill people but it's happening and these hostilities boil up on both sides um, I,
2: I, I would I would agree, but I would also say there's a false equivalence there. I mean, Antifa is a very, very small movement. Even in Charlottesville, Antifa was vastly outnumbered by the white supremacist who, who showed up there well, in the, the first Well, at the same place. time,
4: I mean, if you look at what just happened with Candace Owen and Charlie Kirk, you know, they're out having breakfast. They get surrounded to the point where, you know, they need police to make a protective border around them. This happened yesterday. Right. I mean, and
2: that kind of thing so is, is, is <laughs> indefensible. I agree. But I don't think it's part of uh, quite, quite part of the kind of systematic thing, and it's not coming from the top. That's the difference. President Trump is the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the country, and he has made it his personal crusade starting in 2015 to gin up antagonism, hostility uh, towards the press, to egg on people who already hate the press, and that's what makes him dangerous in a way that you you can't find a democratic analog to that. There isn't a democratic politician doing anything that remotely resembles that. And that's, Eric, where I would say false equivalents i'm not saying that liberal people never do anything bad or leftist people never do anything bad of course they do but but here so you have
4: trump pointing out you know the fact that uh you know the media is is very biased in my opinion but i don't see him saying go attack the media he's just saying you know the media they're biased towards me which is true I mean, in my opinion, anyway, he's not saying go kill
2: reporters. You know, it's not just that they're biased. I mean, first of all, having covered a Trump rally, I can tell you that at a certain point in the rally, he turns to where the press is all penned up. You know, they have us all kind of surrounded in this metal pen and he goes and these these are the most disgusting people in the world. That's how he'll you. you, That's a way not they're not that they're mean to me or they're prejudiced against me or whatever. I mean, that does come up that comes in there. But he starts with an actual devaluation of them as human beings. Uh, and, and then singles them out. I mean, you know, saying, there's little Katie, little Katie, look at little Katie, thousands of but people. But things
4: dehumanizing things yeah. is happening on both sides. Not, I mean, there isn't scary. a, there it's isn't a chief executive, you know,
2: Eric, there just isn't a commander in chief doing that on both sides there's one commander in chief and out of the 45 presidents he's the only president who's ever done anything like this and i just really think that yes there are there are offenses committed on each side but to minimize what's happening right now this is unprecedented in the history of the united states a free press is guaranteed in the constitution there's a man running the government right now who doesn't want there to be a free press doesn't want you to believe things that are said by the free press is in it to discredit what they say. And when that doesn't work, he's also eager to gin up and, and inflame host- the hostilities of crowds. You know, and these reporters who've tried to cover this guy have, have injured stuff thrown at them. They've been spat at um, o- online. They've been attacked in sexual ways and anti-Semitic ways. This this has never happened before. I mean, this, we're in a new chapter of the American story, and and so, yeah, I understand there's some other stuff on the other side. It's not the same. You'll never persuade me. It's the same. Uh, all right. So, um, where am I supposed to go next? Um, our number, uh, well, we don't have time to take any more calls. Um, okay. So, I'm going to go, I'm going to take a wild guess that this is where I'm supposed to go, to Chris in Ellington. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. Hello,
0: Colin. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, After listening to this, which I totally agree with you, um, I'm curious, are the people on the Fox media and other Trump supporters, are they getting the same types of threats that the more or less liberal um, media outlets are getting, which are horrible?
2: Um, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I don't live uh, in in Sean Hannity's world. My guess is that he gets gets his fair share. Um, I, I don't think, once again... There isn't anybody at the top doing that. In other words, you know, pick somebody, whoever you think it is Chuck Schumer, you know, or Nancy Pelosi uh, or Chris Murphy. There's nobody who is directing at. Uh, Sean Hannity or anybody like him, the kind of venom, venom, the kind of um, whipping up of crowds. So, yeah, I'm sure social media being what it is. I mean, everybody is horrible on social media. People on the left are horrible. People on the right are horrible. I'm sure if Sean Hannity, if there's a way to DM him or send him a nasty email or tweet directly at him, uh, people do that all the time. But it's a little, I think, a little bit different uh, than what we're talking about here. Um. All right. So I don't know. What should I do? I should wrap, or should I, I? Can take a. Okay. I will take a call from Ron. Uh, hi, Ron in Hartford. You're on the air.
3: Hey. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm actually not from Hartford or Bristol. I'm actually from DC, and actually from the neighborhood of Comet Pizza, mm-hmm. and I've been there yeah. a lot. Uh, my my question, actually, my my comment has to do with the press. Uh, catching up in that um, there's a couple uh, aspects of this that are just been missing what they've been missing. You know, uh, Donald Trump is a businessman and businessmen uh, operate by a completely different rule, which is called make me. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can say, give me my tax, you know, where are your tax returns? Don't you have any uh, self-respect, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, 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 make me. Right, and I didn't want to get into the the uh, uh, Cone biz- Roy Cohn business, because you know. That's
2: ridiculous. You know, Ron, Um, first of all, we're just about to run out of time, so I'm going to stop you there. But I think it's a really important point, and it goes to what I was saying with Margaret earlier. If this day comes, let's hope it doesn't come. Let's hope nothing really bad happens as a result of the kind of whipping up of crowds and whipping up of the base against journalists. But if that day comes, a day that should be the undoing of most conventional politicians, Um, It won't be the undoing, It won't be the voluntary undoing of Donald Trump because Ron is absolutely right. Donald Trump will say, make me, make me step down over this. Make me do it. Make me even change my tune. Um, You know, if five journalists get murdered in their newsroom tomorrow uh, by somebody who is playing, paying close attention uh, to the rhetoric of Donald Trump about the press, um, I I would imagine that Donald Trump will dismiss this. Uh, will go on, and I doubt he will change his tune. I doubt it will even cause him to to, to self-correct. Anyway, um, thanks for being here and being part of the phone calls. I'm sorry I didn't get to everybody, uh, but uh, we got to go. Thanks to everybody who helped. Captain,
4: the aliens have disappeared, and so has the shuttle. Scan the sector. I have, sir.
3: Well, I suppose that is the end of Q. He's back!